we began our Christian Witches service this morning and we just had our musical inspiration from Donald Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers was playing here. No, he's not here in person. <laughs> we just had it playing and we welcome and give thanks for this day. And we welcome in this space, in this moment, here at our Christian Witches service this morning, we are recording and we're recording live from our clubhouse room where we come together on Sundays, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern time for inspiration, for a word, for a message, for song, to set your vibration high for the week. Here we are. So let us debrief. Be still and know. Breathe. Breath is a lifeline to spirit. Breathing deeply. Being complete and total oneness with source. No dual mind, no split minds, no running in different directions, no confusion, no doubt, no trying to figure it out, no control, let go of that. No demanding, simply being, allowing, unfolding. And now in this presence, in this state of presence, still in the mind, all awareness to the heart, the portal to the divine, the divine as self. Now we call forward our enlightened ancestors, honoring those who went before us. Ashe. Now we call forward the angels who attend us, honoring these brilliant beings, cosmic forces. Ashe. Now we call forward in our minds, loving attention given to our spirit guides and the ascended masters, Christ, Kuan Yin, Buddha, Mother Teresa, and all of the saints and yogis who showed us the way, and our master teacher, Christ. Breathing. We understand that we are under the protection and the guidance and the love of this great master teacher, Christ. And we allow the highest and best here and our word that goes forth and takes on flesh and form is simply thy will be done. Ashe. Now in the presence of all of these magnificent cosmic forces assembled together with us, our message for today, the Sunday inspiration, is the two gods of the Bible, and maybe you might have been confused like I was about these two gods. 
On the one hand, we have what's called the Old Testament God, Yahweh, we know him well. He's a jealous God. He's a murdering God, kills people. He's a God that demands allegiance. He's a God that demands that you have no other gods before my face, which before me, which means that there are many other gods. If he was the only God, then there would be no need to say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then we have the God of the New Testament. This God is a loving God. This God is all love, all the time. You tune to this God's channel and you're only getting love. You're getting acceptance, forgiveness. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the only commandment is love. And you start to see that there's some kind of something going on in the Bible that maybe is not being talked about widely and has not been addressed more importantly in our consciousness where the divide exists. How do we make heads or tails of these two gods? Well, to be whole as we desire in mind, body, we're already whole in spirit. To experience our wholeness, we must have a holistic, holistic, whole way of looking at the world. A holistic way of looking at the world means that we look at the world through the paradigm of the archaeologists. We can do that. We can also look at the world through the paradigm of the magician. We can look at the world through the paradigm of the scientist and the alchemist. We can look at the world through the lens of the historian. We can look at the world through the lens of the cleric or the priest or the priestess, the holy person. There are many, many ways of looking at the world, or even the thing you have before you, two gods in the Bible, what's really going on? Well, I practice this a lot. I like to look at what the archaeologists are saying, and some of the most fascinating people that I love to listen to are atheists, because atheists really have a lot of facts, and that part is really helpful. And atheists are really, I've found, very critical thinkers. And what I like is that atheists have a healthy skepticism. I'm not an atheist myself. I guess I'm an atheist of the Bible uh, God, of the, the Old Testament, because I don't believe in that God. I don't worship that God. Yet I am not an atheist. I know their source and I know it from my own direct experience. I don't need anyone to tell me. So when you have knowing, it doesn't really matter what other people say and you won't get caught up in useless arguments. You'll simply look at things from many different perspectives so that we can learn and we can get to the truth. The truth just shall set you free and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So let's look at it for a moment from the lens, through the lens of a Gnostic, a person who is of the Gnostic flavor, let's call it because some scholars tell us 
that even the word Gnostic was not used in antiquity. It's a word we use now to sort of classify a stream of thought and a set of sort of paradigms. How did they look at the world? What were they about? Well, this is something very fascinating about the Gnostics. They rejected the Old Testament completely. And they said, you don't need to at all listen to that God. As a matter of fact, if you do listen to that God, you're in trouble. And here's why. It goes to their creation story. So in the Gnostic, or in the paradigm that we'll call it of the Gnostics, or those who, I, I'm very much, this is very much a, a paradigm that resonates for me. I don't say that I believe in things that have resonance. I'm really trying to rid myself of all beliefs. The Gnostics say that in the beginning, this whole great universe, this whole, the all, the great light or the, the invisible spirit was, of course, the only thing existing. And the invisible spirit, the first thing the invisible spirit bought forth was Barbello. And Barbello was a, or is, in this way of looking at things, please don't think, well, this is right, this is wrong, I have to fight it, I have to combat it, I don't like it. It doesn't matter. We're simply looking at the world many different ways, that's all. We don't have to agree with everything, nor do we have to disagree with everything. We can simply listen and then be critical thinkers and make up, own, make up our own minds. We're not here for anyone to tell us what to do or what to think. So the Barbello came forth and the Barbello is feminine in aspect. The great mother, the great creatrix in many, many, many paradigms of the world including the African diaspora of faith walks and spiritual paths, such as the Akan and Vodun and Voodoo. There was a great mother. That's where everything came from. It wasn't a father, it was a mother. Well, Barbello is, or Barbello, is this mother being. She's a, she's a, creatrix. She is a differentiation of the great spirit. So I guess you could say that the first differentiation of the invisible spirit is feminine in essence, which would make sense because how are you going to have kids? How are you going to have creation without the womb? So from her, now in the Gnostic paradigm, there are many, many, many worlds. Well, let me not say worlds. There are levels to this thing, let's call it. And, so, and many spirits, it's a vast cosmology. And so Barbello, she now bought forth, or what came forth next, were many divine beings, all perfect. And of course, Barbello, perfect. All the divine beings, perfect just like invisible spirit. Invisible spirit is neither male nor female. Invisible spirit is exactly it, invisible spirit. I call it source, you could call it God, Allah, Jehovah. It doesn't matter what you call it, work with what works for you. Just so we know that we're talking about the same thing and we're not talking about the God of the Hebrew Bible, nor are we talking about uh, many of the lesser gods. We're talking about source. 
That we will call invisible spirit. Barbello, first differentiation of source, feminine in nature. Then comes all of these beings that are divine beings, all perfect, all divine, perfect, perfect, perfect. That one of them was or is, I don't want to speak in past tense because it's all happening right here, right now. Sophia. Sophia is wisdom. And she's in the Bible. So we know about Sophia. Sophia is in Proverbs. Sophia is throughout the Bible in many spaces. So Sophia is wisdom. Sophia decided, oh, let me add one little other, pardon me, one little other aspect to this divine beings conversation. These divine beings, and it's important to understand this creation story so you can understand why the God of the Old Testament is such a hellion. Here is, there is a coupledom in the cosmic realm. And these couples, most of them are divine pairs, masculine and feminine, these divine pairings are bringing forth, which makes sense. So most of all of these cosmic beings that are in the pantheon of, or in the paradigm of the Gnostics, they have pairings. Now this is important to understand because Sophia decided that she was going to bring forth without anyone else, including the, her divine partner. She was gonna do it on her own. She just wanted to make something. And she decided she was gonna make something. And she made something. And this was outside of the cosmic order. And this thing that she brought forth because it was this thing that she created. She just wanted to create something and she was like, hey, I'm making something. And because it went against the cosmic order, this thing that came forth was ghastly. It, it was monstrous. And so she hid it in heaven in sort of this pocket or like an expanse. So this thing didn't know that there were other beings. It thought it was the only one. And believe it or not, this thing this monstrous thing actually brought forth the earth and humanity. Now, I know what you're going to say. What are you talking about right now, Kai? You see, this is all recorded on the Christian Witches and will be on the Christian Witches podcast. What are you saying, Kai? You see, because we were told, yep, we were told that God, the good God, the wonderful God, the creator. We know the story made man and woman, put them in a garden. Then the, the evil deceiver came along. However, there could be another way of looking at that story. I'm not telling you what to believe. That's not my job. And I'm not telling you what to think. That's not my job either. My job is to be a teacher of the mysteries My assignment is to inspire, to fan a flame within you prayerfully or hopefully or with all the powers of the universe so that you will go and you will be pants on fire to find your own truth and walk your own path, blazing and nothing will stop you. So let's go back to Barbello, the unfoldment of these divine beings, Sophia creating this monstrous thing tucking it away somewhere so it thought it was the only thing and therefore 
it bought forth. Now you can imagine that what it bought forth would be monstrous like itself. Because you can't bring forth something that's unlike yourself. So, this thing that came forth, he created it. I won't even say he. It created the world and humans. Yet, because this thing was also from the divine world, humans also have the divine within us. We all know we have the divine within us. We have the divine spark. Yet we were put in a world of darkness. So what did this thing do? This thing put Adam and Eve in a garden. Why? Because the garden was the trap. In this paradigm, in this way of looking at the world, the garden of Eden was the trap because it was nothing but pleasure. And this was a way to keep this being that came forth, which initially was only one, and in Kabbalah it says that Adam, Adam, the first human was androgynous. It was both male and female, and it differentiated later. That's kind of, a couple of traditions say that. It's the Gnostic way of looking at it is not the only people who say that. Well, when he put them in the garden, they were mesmerized by all the beauty and oh, it's all the food you want to eat and there's nothing to do. And they did not know they were trapped. It's almost like you make a matrix, like the one we live in now. Is it a simulation? Yes, because your flesh has you believing something that is contrary to the truth. Well, what happened? The serpent actually was the liberator of humanity. Now I know what you're gonna say. This is, just, this is all so bizarre because the serpent was supposedly the devil. Now nothing in Genesis says that the serpent was the devil. And nothing anywhere in the Bible says the serpent was the devil until you get all the way to Revelation. So I don't know what that's about yet. There was no connection between the serpent and the devil. None whatsoever. That came much later. So understand, we have the whole Bible. You, you will not, as a matter of fact, you don't find a devil anywhere in the Old Testament. You find Satan. Satan is not the devil. Satan is a adversary. He is sort of like your weight trainer in the gym, in the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew people don't believe in the devil like Christian people do. Christian people um, are somewhat devil worshippers because they really are deeply invested in the whole devil thing. That's another conversation for another day. Right now, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. So I give you this, these tidbits around the story so that we can understand the story and where we're going in these two gods of the Bible and, and get down to understanding. So, the serpent came and told the couple, there's a way out. You can have knowledge, gnosis. Isn't that what he told them? He told them you could have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of good and evil. You could have all knowledge. And if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you're going to wake up and understand that you're in a dream. 
You are a divine being and you've been cast into a clay body. You're in a shell. Eat it and wake up. Gnosis. And so they did. And they were cast out of the garden according to the story that we got. Who cast them out? The uh, monstrous creator of humanity that is part monster and part divine. Now, here's where the story gets very fascinating. (laughs) As if it wasn't already fascinating. Here's where it gets even more fascinating. That everything we read in Genesis is actually the reverse in this story of the truth of what is really what of what the Gnostic way of looking at things would be. And I thought to myself, this is fascinating because this makes a lot of sense. This explains a lot about why either the God of the Bible is seriously bipolar bipolar, or just straight up schizophrenic because he's got one personality in the Old Testament and he's got another personality in the New Testament and people believe all that stuff from the Old Testament. They believe it. Thou shalt not suffer which to live. What about Deuteronomy? What about this? They don't know that they're talking about some monstrous demigod that's not God. Okay, let's go further in this two gods of the Bible. So because the Gnostics had this way of looking at these gods, this particular god, they said, throw the whole Old Testament out. You don't even need that. That thing is just horrible. And did you ever read the Old Testament and some of these things that this god did? Kill them all. Kill the women. Kill the children. Kill, Kill everybody. I mean, this is a bloodthirsty, jealous, vengeful, and I'm the only one. Who would worship a God like that? Unless you were under a spell. If you were under a spell and you didn't know any better, I was under that spell for 26 years. And I couldn't figure out, why does God hate me? But God is love? Yes, God is love. But God would kill its own offspring. Like there's nothing that could happen, I don't think, that would make me kill all my kids. I mean, Beloved was an interesting story. She killed all her kids to save them. I mean, you would have to be under that kind of duress, right? I don't know what kind of God this is that just kills hundreds of thousands of people. It's genocidal. You know the stories. You know all about, and this God don't like gay people. This God don't like witches. This God don't like um, people that think that there is more than one God. This God is so hateful. And now we understand why. This is not source, all-knowing, all-powerful God. This is a monstrous and the Gnostic take on it, the Gnostic paradigm that we're looking at, just one lens that you can view it. It gives a lot of understanding to the story. That's why you've always got to go beyond the holy books that you yourself read. Not saying to throw out your holy books. There's there's something in there. Yet, you must go beyond that. 
Okay, so let's go further. So we've already established that according to the Gnostic way of looking at things, this God of the Old Testament was monstrous creation that brought forth disaster and war and did not even know that he was the only one. So what is our job in all of this? Our job in all of this is to remember your divine spark that is within you and to experience gnosis. What is gnosis? Gnosis is knowing yourself as God. Source, invisible source, not this step-down monstrous creation that brought forth. We're talking about knowing yourself as invisible spirit, that that is your identity, that that is the foundation of your life. You are invisible spirit. Okay, let's look at it from another direction. So that's what the Gnostics say. Let's look at it from one more paradigm. And this one will also explain a lot. If you look at the ancient tales from Samaria, the Anunnaki came here, as we know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they were the progenitors of humanity. Now, they were sky gods also. And they had supernatural powers, or what would look like supernatural, to people that did not have those powers. I'll tell you one thing, if I went back to my grand, great-grandmother's farm, great-great-grandmother's farm, if I went back to Pinky and Ballard Clark's farm right now, and I had a mobile phone with me, they would think, what matter of witchcraft is that? Or either they would think that I was from maybe another civil, an advanced civilization, or maybe I could tell them that we get on um, big giant birds and we fly through the air. Well, even farther back it would have to go for them to believe that you were some kind of special being. You can, you can fly in the sky. If you had told a certain group of people that, it would have appeared that you would have been some kind of god. Well, the Anunnaki are the ones spoken of according to this paradigm or this way of looking at it. Once again, I'm not here to tell you what to think. You have to come to your own conclusions. And I would say, come to your conclusions after you study and do your research. The Anunnaki came here to this planet, and it was a devastated planet, according to what we're told. And they had to terraform it. Of course, they had to clear away the waters. That part is in Genesis as well. It's kind of covered with waters. And... They brought forth the human race, and this is also in the Bible. In the Bible, it says, let us make man in our image. Why does it say that? I always ask those questions. I could never get a straight answer when I was in fundamentalist Christianity. They told me that was God, Jehovah, talking to Christ, that Jesus Christ was there. And that's what it meant by let us. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if that makes much sense to me, because if I'm going to make something and my kids are sitting there, I'm making something. My kid is watching. My kid's not making it. I'm making it. Um, I'm making a, a cake. And when it comes out, you can have some. I'm making the cake. I'm not saying, let us make a cake. There was something missing there for me. I don't know about any of you that are listening. It was missing for me. Well, 
Now we understand why you have all these missing holes and strange perceptions and why you just threw the Bible probably to the side like a, just a bizarre book that just has, it's, it's too much. Here's a piece of the puzzle. The Anunnaki are referred to in the Bible as Elohim. What is Elohim? Elohim or Elohim, we understand, we know that it means gods with an S. It's a plural. So there were more than one God bringing forth this whole creation thing. It was gods. Now that's a shocker, but I'm telling you it's in the Bible. And it's in your English version too that's been translated over and over again and redacted many times in the 6th century. All good. It's in your Bible. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and we understand it. Then he says, let us. And let us do this and let us do that. Okay, let's go further. Once they bought forth the creation, they saw how beautiful the creation was. And then they made it with the creation. This is in many stories. This is in the Bible also. They call them the Nephilim, the giants, the men of renown the, of the old times when there were giants walking the earth. Every civilization speaks of giants walking the earth. There's a big giant footprint right now in South Africa that you will never see on CNN or any history channel or anything. It's, it's outside of, it's scholars don't even want to look at it. The Anunnaki story is the same. Now, we heard in the Bible that they were fallen angels who fell, cast out of heaven after a great war. There was a great war with the Anunnaki, the sky gods as well. And you heard that these angels came down these winged beings came to earth and they had, they mated with the beautiful women here. Same in the Anunnaki story, same on the Sumerian tablets. These winged beings came from the sky, came down, made it with the women and the children were superhumans. Don't you have the same thing in Greek mythology? Don't you have all of these gods that mate with females of the earth and then they bring forth a super being of some sort. This is throughout the world. We cannot escape these stories. What do they mean? I think they're one story. I think there are just many different ways of telling the story. I think you know, humanity has one story. We're one. We're all one. We're together in this. So if the Anunnaki came here, and they mated with the women of the planet. They brought forth giants. Same thing happened in the Bible. We call them angels, just different names. And, and even the Anakim is in the Bible. If that be the case, and there were gods that created all of this, this, this world of darkness and light, right? Because there's a lot of darkness, yet the core of it, it's light. We have a shell. That is merely the earth shell that people start arguing on. My shell is white or my shell is black. It's a ridiculous conversation. Inside of you is the divine spark. 
We're all here to focus on the divine spark, not the shell. Well, my shell has a penis and my shell has a vagina. And my shell has both and my shell has neither. That's not the, the, that's not the object of the exercise. The object, so we have compassion for all people because the object of the exercise is to realize your divine spark, which is the invisible spirit, which is neither, it's undifferentiated, which is neither male nor female, black nor white nor Chinese, nor in Mexican where I live right now. It's none of this and it's all of it. It's none of it and it's all of it. It's not it in its entirety and it is all of it. It's everything. It's the all. It's the entirety. That's what the Gnostics called it, the entirety. It's everything. Our job is to go within and to find the divine spark. First of all, it's there. And fan that sucker. Fan it, fan it, fan it. Fan your divine spark until it's a raging flame. And then we see you all lit up and say, oh my goodness, my spark, something's happening inside my heart. Something's happening in me whenever I'm around this person. I'm feeling myself lit up. Your divine spark is waking up and your divine spark is waking up and your divine spark is waking up. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until everyone on the planet and off planet remembers and realizes the divine spark. See, it's not, it's not about the God of the Old Testament. Drop that God. I know you may have grown up with that God. I'm telling you, he's a murderer, he's sadistic, he's ego-centered, he thinks he's the only one in a whole universe full of, I don't know, countless gods. He thinks he's the only one. I mean, that's ridiculous. Real gods don't think that. If you look at the seven African powers in, in our tradition of Yoruba, and when I say our, I simply mean because I'm part of my soul, it's part of the blood that runs through my blood magic that runs through my veins. And this incarnation is Africa and also Scotland and the Druids. If you look at the seven African powers for an example, and you can look at Santeria, you can look at a Kondable, these seven African powers, they don't fight as if I'm the only God. Oshun knows she's not the only god. She's the god of the river. She's she, goddess. She knows she's not the only goddess. Like what real god thinks they're the only god? If you're a god, you can't be the only god and you had to come from somewhere. Gods come from somewhere. They were created. In Odun, Olodumare is the great spirit. In Native American people, great spirit is the great spirit. In Gnostic terms, and great spirit doesn't have a sex or any differentiation at all. If it did, it couldn't bring forth everything. There's no differentiation in great spirit or the invisible spirit. The Gnostics call it invisible spirit. I call it source. It's whatever you want to call it. But that word God is so bogged down with so much bad karma because this joker, and if you look at it in terms of Greek history and, and archaeology, you will find that this Yahweh person, entity, was pretty much a lesser god, like a god of copper. You know, he wasn't even a god of gold, you know? He was, he was kind of low on the rung. 
So this was the one that people were listening to. If you go and you look at the Israeli, the, the, the Jewish ways, some of the stories of how this, who this God is, Yahweh. Look it up. Do your research. Here's what we're going to conclude with. And the floor is open. If, you, if there's anything you'd like to share, ask. The floor is open. Because I understand clearly the object of this whole exercise. The object of this whole exercise is divinity. It's, and the Gnostics said the same thing. It's the ascent to return to your godness. That's the whole point of the mystery school. That's the whole reason the mystery school was created. Christian Witch's mystery school was created. It is an occult school of ascension as all mystery schools, all of them. All mystery schools had the same thing. They were not there to teach you a bunch of things and stuff a bunch of facts into your head. That's not what we do in the mystery school. The mystery schools are about fanning the flame of the divine spark within you. So that spark turns into a flame and you experience ecstatic states of divinity and that you are source. You have that realization. You don't need a priest for that. You don't need a pastor. No one. You need no one for that. Now, of course, we have teachers and we have priests and we have pastors to show us the way because sometimes we're just so down in the hole. We need to see someone who's already done it. Christ did it. He already did it. And he showed us how to do it. Mother Teresa did it. Christ wasn't the only one that did it. Buddha did it. Gandhi did it. Many people did it. And they told us how to do it. And they told us that it was a path of love and compassion. And it was a path of love and compassion for all, not just for some. And it was a, a, a path of selflessness. And it was a path of truth. And it was your own solitary path that you had to walk in your own way. Yes, you can look to the left and you look to the right. You see all of us walking with you. No one can walk it for you and no one will walk it exactly as you're walking it. That is the whole object of a spiritual path. Which... For me, every Christian which is on a spiritual path is not a religion. A religion tells you do this at this time, on this day, these are our holy days, this is how we do it. These are the prayers to say. If I want to be a Catholic right now, there's a protocol for that. I love, I never met a church I didn't love. I love going to the Catholic church. I love it. I love all the stuff in there. I love all the magic. It's pure magic. Well, if you want to be a Catholic, well, here's what you do. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you get baptized, you do this. Here are the sacraments, here is, here's the holy book, here's the catechism, here's this, here's that, here's mass. You know the deal. If you want to be initiated into Santeria, you have to find a Babalu. Wow, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to, we know the deal. And it's beautiful. Why do we need those? We need those because our consciousness is all over the place. We haven't been disciplined. We haven't been uh, habituated into the spiritual energies that awaken dormant faculties within our consciousness. We need the prayers. We need the repetition. We need the holy water. We need all of it. And then eventually you'll need none of it. And they're all ladders. So you keep saying the Hail Mary and saying the Hail Mary and saying the Hail Mary. And one day you have a revelation that you are a Hail Mary. And you keep saying the Lord's Prayer and saying the Lord's Prayer and saying the Lord's Prayer until one day you have a realization. I am the Lord. That's what it's for. But we get stuck on the tool and not focused on the divine spark that you are. The divine spark. I am. 
That's the focus in everything. No matter what's going on in your life, your focus. If you were to realize your godness and be one with invisible spirit and literally see the face of God. That's really all I live for. If you want to know my honest motivation is like see the face of God, which you can. Because if you realize and you clear all the dross, probably take you thousands of years and lifetimes to do it. But many other people did it. So why can't I? Why can't you? No reason whatsoever why you can't. Many people have seen the face of God. And when you look at even the story of Moses, many ways to look at that story too. We'll talk about those on another day. When you look at the story of Moses, Moses came down from the mountain. Moses was shining. They said his countenance was shining. He was shining. That's our message for today. The two gods that are in the Bible, no more need for confusion. No more need to think that we are under any, any obligation to even honor or even think about that God. As a matter of fact, the Gnostics said, do not worship that God. It's a petty God and an abomination, it's a monstrous creation. I don't know how actual and factual their way of looking at it is. I do know that they have a good point and you'll have to come to your own conclusions. That's it for this episode of Sunday Inspiration. Talk to us. <laughs>